Hey friends. Friend, singular. No Gordon yet. Well, there he is. How are you guys? I'm good. How are you? Uh, you talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Hey, talking to me. And my son Henry is, uh, is is on a kick right now of hiding and jumping out and scaring us. <laughs> he's pretty terrible at it, but every now and then he actually does a pretty good job of it. And he does it mostly to his mom. And I, think oh, I bet she about, loves that. She's about to murder him. <laughs> hey, I recommend Palm Springs on Hulu. I've heard of this. What, what is it about? Pretty good little flick. It's uh, it's Andy Samberg. If you can handle Andy Samberg which I do tend to like him. I think he's pretty good in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but um, uh, it's about him and, and this girl, and it's a Groundhog Day premise, but it's it's done very well. It's a pretty good, pretty good little movie. Interesting. Pretty good little free movie. So, hey, um, how would y'all think of that WRAL piece on us? That was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't believe that. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, we told you last week that we would be on WRAL on Monday, July 20th. Yeah. And then we found out that it had to be rescheduled, but we can tell you now that it will be on WRAL <laughs> on Monday, July 27th. Uh, We're 80%. He, he originally told us Monday, July 13th. That was the original plan. And then it officially got moved to the 20th, and now it's officially the 27th. But well, I, uh, now I, I have an email uh, that I'm looking at from Scott Mason that says story will be on Monday at 5:55 p.m. and on WRAL.com later the same night. Cool. And and Scott Mason has agreed to come on the podcast, uh, which we will record on Tuesday, July 28th, and our guest will be the Tar Heel Traveler. So, yeah, it's going to be our first uh, celebrity guest. Mm-hmm. Excited about that. Hey, uh, we have uh, we have since taken this podcast and moved it to a um, a new home online, which will should make it easier to access on some of the uh, podcast apps that are out there. But we are now on Podbean, and one of the things, guys, that I'm going to do since we now have unlimited space is, uh, and hopefully, people who are new to us might might appreciate this, or people that enjoyed our old radio show might appreciate this. Um, I'm going to go back and start taking old radio shows and doing what I can to take clips from those and put in them in our podcast uh, archives. So um, some of our old skits that uh, that we talk about, boy, that was great. Remember that? But we don't have any actual audio proof of them existing. Um, everything we ever did, I kept on some CDs. And so I'm going to go back and, and uh, post what I can online. Maybe we can cut together an episode of all the things we said that turned out to be wrong. <laughs> um, There's no way I, this Trump man will win the presidency. <laughs> I like to imagine that there is uh, a group of people out there, and maybe it's because of quarantine, that you know the well of content has run so so dry that they have to resort to back episodes of the rant. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a good no. point. I really just want to have it just for for history's sake, I guess. Um, no man can stop me, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> Our uh, our first episode that um, that went to Podbean was last week's Ari Wright episode and uh, Ari Wright Thompson episode, and uh, that's done pretty well on there. So, yeah. So good. What do you guys think of this school plan? What are you going to do, Billy? What's your kids going to do? Uh, well, I can I um, I don't know. I don't know if that's public knowledge yet, but. But yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. And if Jennifer, no, no, I mean, is there a problem? I, I don't know. <laughs> no, if Jennifer, I mean, I don't know. It's it's kind of like damned if you. Let's do, just talk about if, the plans. So like no, if you if you decide to send your kids, then 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 you're part of the problem, right? You're you're out there going to uh, to you know you're putting your children's health at risk. Then if you decide to keep your kids home, then it's like, well, you're not supporting our school district. You're not going to get things back to normal by keeping your. Uh, so I don't know, but I, I can go ahead and say we we've decided that we're going to keep our kids home for at least the first quarter of this school year um, because uh, for a few reasons and uh, and we can talk about the plan if you'd like. But uh, there's a plan B, which is uh, which will bring kids back to school in Lee County. It will um, elementary school students will go to school five days a week. Uh, middle school students will go to school at the high schools, from what I understand, and uh, the middle schools will be open up to some elementary students where to, to prevent from overcrowding in some of our elementary schools. And then high school students will only go to school once a week, and then we'll do um, virtual the other four days of the week. So that's what I understand of Plan B. And well, uh, but it, the but other, go on, this, sorry, go this is like hugely underreported and this there will be information about this in the next printed edition of the rant but there's a virtual academy for anybody who wants it right that's uh, that's what i was getting at is the the other option they give you is this virtual academy which will be a little more structured than last year i know when when online teaching happened um very suddenly back in march uh teachers were kind of left to hey just keep doing what you're doing just do it online um there was and I'm not saying this is bad to the school district because every school in the nation did this. There was very little structure to it. It was just kind of, hey, teachers, do the best you can. Well, this virtual academy that Gordon mentions will have more structure to it. It will be, um, so like if you have a third grader, all third graders will go through the same virtual academy. I do believe teachers will be different. I don't know how that's gonna work yet. Um, but we're gonna, we've decided to let our kids go through the virtual academy. Um, until things get better, until things change, I don't know. But for now, this is the best option we feel like for our kids, but also it does also help prevent some of the overcrowding in the schools because we do understand there are, there are parents out there who, who really benefit by having a school to send their children to because they can't do their jobs, they can't afford daycare, they can't send them to places because of the virus. And so um, this is the only option for them. We're fortunate that we don't have to do that. Yeah, we have a high school student now. Uh, he's going to ninth grade, so we have kind of more more questions than answers. I mean, I mean, not not that we have like asked these questions yet, but we just don't know how the one day a week will work for yeah. a high school student. Like, our you know when that 
you know, when there's like five people in the class, are the other kids in that same class going to be joining virtually and it just be like the same class or, you know, like what happens the other four days, I guess. And, um, Clara's excited about going back to school. You know, she's seven, she's going into second grade, uh, but we haven't really decided exactly what we're going to do yet. Well, yeah, my, my kids aren't happy about it. This, my daughter Haley is heading into the fifth grade and this will be her last year of elementary school. And the next year it's middle school. I think she kind of was looking forward to being the big man on campus for a year at her elementary school. <laughs> Be- beating up, kids yeah, kids. beating up the first graders. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. If we talk about the virus for a little bit, little bit, we had some good news on Monday that uh, um, while we did have 46 new cases for the week, uh, 46 in a week is down from the average that we have been having over the last few months. Um, if you go back to a month ago, we had the really huge spike, and I think we had over 100 cases in a week. And now we're down into the 40s per week. I'm not saying that's not going to go back up. Um, but the other good news is as we approach thousand cases, um, we're still, we're down to about 125 to 130 active cases in Lee County. And, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think that's the best the County has been in a long time at, at 130 active cases. So, um, I, I do notice more people are wearing masks in Lee County. I do notice that businesses are requiring it more and uh, people seem to be following suit. I don't know if that's the reason, but whatever the reason, it seems like in Lee County, um, uh, it's starting to level off, if not go down a little bit. So that's good news. Yeah, John, you left a comment on the last rant <laughs> Facebook post about this that said it's almost like the, max, the masks are working. That can't be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of likes on that one too. I was mm-hmm. surprised. We you got some pushback too. Somebody said the, uh, the masks are propaganda. Yeah. yeah, that got deep too. That that went down a real rabbit hole. What do you think about the president coming out saying masks are awesome now? Um, I think polling numbers drove him to say that. Yeah. And that's all I'm. But then say. I started. <laughs> but then I started seeing these uh, Trump Trumpsters say, "Oh, the mask, mask, good." And then they're like. If the masks will help us win in November, I'm all for it. Oh, I, I don't want to get into all that. I mean, it's 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 so maddening. And now have, they're saying like, wear a mask so you don't have to do mail-in votes and do the fraud and whatnot. I have a sister-in-law who is so anti-mask. I don't think she's going to hear this. She is so anti-mask that her Facebook profile photo says, "I heart oxygen." <laughs> that's how anti-mask she is good lord and uh she's even gone to the point of saying that um that she's even associated it with sex trafficking now that's her new kick and she says uh we can't oh, yeah, identify we can't identify children who've been taken if they're wearing masks when they're taken so i answered well i'm sure we have photos of them <laughs> Without the mask, but nope. you know it's uh, nope. uh deep state I, got rid of all those. Photos. I know I, I I'm I'm so over it right now. But I, I do want to ask you guys. Um, back when we did start wearing masks, I even admitted, "Hey, I did it," but I felt weird about it at the time because it just felt weird. You know, it, I mean, I forget it, a lot. Like I I'll, I'll get out and get to the door of the store, and it says like wear a mask. I'm like, oh dang. So I have to go back. Well, see, I've so. gotten to the point now, though, where I don't forget anymore. It's it's become 
I'm leaving the house. I grab my keys, my wallet, and my mask. I just keep the mask around my neck. And when I'm entering a building, I pull it up over my ears. And, you know, that's that. It's second nature. Um, when all this started, I felt self-conscious about wearing it. Now I don't anymore. And I'm just wondering, is that part of uh, QAnon's plan? Or is that part of the government's plan to to uh, make us all into sheep? Or yes, is it just... it's, it's nor- normalizing <laughs> obedience. So, yeah, I don't understand the, the problem with masks. Like, what? I, what? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, A mask will actually kill you. Yeah, you're you're breathing in all your all your deadly toxins mm-hmm. that you emit from your own body. <laughs> you remember Kane on WWE? He wore a mask and he was pure evil. <laughs> <laughs> Don't wear masks. He, he was pure evil, <laughs> just oh, like Q, Q said, man. So I have a I have friends who like really believe this cute thing all of a sudden. Like yeah. they'll post something and then like 30 other people will say, Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait until this happens. Like I don't know. Like, I have a hard time with conspiracy theories anyway, but yeah, I have a really hard time with a conspiracy theory that says that despite your guy being president the government is doing all this nefarious I, stuff. That's the whole, like, he's had four years. Why hasn't he stopped all this? If it's happening and he knows it, just do, you know, be president. Stop, yeah. Stop I saw game. I saw one today that still associates the whole virus with the plot to unseat Trump. And, and my argument was, well, is this what Italy was thinking when... Yeah when they were having their problems this is what china was thinking when they and this post went as far as to say this was a global a global conspiracy to unseat trump good lord yeah. like he's doing a good enough job of that himself like uh, yeah, it's yeah. like i think i saw you post something billy that was like if he'd just done a, a better job at this he would have like cruised <laughs> to it real yeah i tweeted that i say if he you know, even showed a mod i just wanted to use the word modicum to i like that mark. yeah but if he just showed a modicum of leadership through this, an, an ounce of it, just like if from the very beginning he said, this is a problem, we're going to do the best we can to handle it. I'm going to trust the people who have dedicated their lives to this to handle this. Then maybe he would have. He'd probably have like 70% approval rating. Yeah. Because remember when 9-11 happened and then like nobody loved George Bush before that. And then when yeah. it happened. He was like the man there for four years. Presidents, you know? presidents who step up during times of tragedy or disaster or terrorism, they they receive huge support, you know, because it's the country coming together. And this guy did nothing but but continue to divide during a very serious time. And the fact that he belittled the virus the whole time led people to think that this was no big deal. You see stories all the time now of people who are on ventilators who are going back to their old Facebook posts and saying, well, you know, I was wrong there. Um, like Chuck Woolery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chuck Woolery. The next um, day he was like, oh, my son got it. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, he, I, th- I am of the belief, and I, I will probably be wrong. I'm of the belief that he will lose 
by a pretty substantial margin in November, but um, you know, who knows? Anything can happen between now and then. He might he might be holding the vaccine. <laughs> There's my conspiracy theory. He's right. holding the vaccine until October 13th. And then, the October surprise yeah. is a vaccine. <laughs> yeah. But the damage is already done. Like 200,000 people are dead. Like My conspiracy theory is the vaccine will either happen in October or it will happen on November the 5th. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden will bring it out. Right. <laughs> Pull it out of his pocket. Look what I got. Yeah. Yeah. And then like he drops it. It falls down. So we had yeah, a the, sk- the skipper comes behind him and slaps him with his hat. <laughs> You've done it again, Biden. <laughs> Kill again. Uh, he's like Gary Jerry on a Marson Road. Hey, everybody. We're joined this week by Laura Brummett. She is a, uh, she is a Sanford native and uh, going to be a senior at UNC Chapel Hill, a journalism major. And the reason uh, we know Laura is because uh, she was supposed to have an internship at a newspaper in Nashville, Tennessee this summer. But with everything else in the world that is, hap- that is uh, going on, uh, that fell through with the with the virus and so she came to us and said i would love to write for you guys this summer and we said absolutely and then lo and behold she's actually very good and uh we're going to actually hate it when she goes back to school but um laura welcome to our podcast how are you today i am great how are you guys good um and i'm sorry that i said you were desperate when you came to us but (laughs) but i am curious uh um you could have gone to uh you could have gone to other papers let's say in the city uh um, what made you want to write for us? Yeah, so I've actually um, previously already written for the Stanford Herald. Okay. Um, so that was the summer after my freshman year. I was just trying to get anybody to let me write for them. And yeah. so I kind of, you know, they didn't usually take interns. So I just pitched myself to them. I was like, please let me write stories for you. And yeah. you don't have to pay me, but I can get class credit for it if you sign these papers. Oh, I bet they were all for that. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was my first, besides the Daily Tar Heel, that was my first real writing experience. So that was like my foot in the door to the journalism world. Okay. Um, so I already knew, um, I've already kind of done that. Um, and then I did reach out to a few other papers, but most of them, like the rest of the journalism world right now, were strapped for cash kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I know a lot about Sanford, obviously. I'm from there, born and raised. Um, And so it's very natural for me to write about Sanford things. Um, I feel really connected to the community there. So it was just kind of natural for me to come to you guys um, and write some more about, yeah, my hometown. No, it's been, uh, it's been great, actually, for us. Uh, Your, your writing style is great. Uh, You have a a nose for journalism. And that's what I want to talk about right now, because um, I teach a journalism course at Campbell University, and um, one of the first things I ask students that, that first day is, uh, is why they want to get into journalism, because it is by no means a glamorous career. It's by no means a career that's on steady footing right now with everything that's happening with newspapers, but 
I do find that people who have a passion for it still want to uh, still want to go into this career. And there's a lot of things you can do outside of newspapers. But I want to ask you, uh, why journalism? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just the basic answer of informing the public and holding the powerful accountable. I mean, that's everybody's basic answer for, you know, going into journalism definitely holds true with me. And then on top of that, so my major is technically business journalism. And so what really makes me passionate about that is that I can take more complex issues, things that people literally would not know about if it wasn't for this article that I'm writing, and really explain it to them in basic terms so they can get a good idea of these um, complex issues that happen in the business world that really go you know, unnoticed if it's not for business journalists. Are there examples of that kind of work that you've already been able to do? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, let me think of a good one. Sorry, my cat's playing with yeah. me. <laughs> um, what are some of my favorite stories? I've written one about here in Chapel Hill. This was back in my Daily Tar Heel days, but um, I, I wrote one about how the PTA thrift shop here is um, its own kind of business and it's not in connection at all to the PTA, the actual PTA for the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools. Um, so I had to like really dig in, like I dug through pages and pages of their tax forms to find out you know, why the PTA wasn't getting any money from them, where all this money was going. Um, so mm. it was like, you know, stuff that a normal wow. parent of the schools wouldn't go through 90 pages of tax forms to check out. Um, yeah. So I, I did all that work, found out where the money was going into new construction projects that the PTA thrift shop was taking on that the actual PTA had no say over. Um, so just stories wow. like that where I can help Maybe. out. Yeah. Maybe we should look into that here in Sanford. There's like 30 yeah. thrift stores. <laughs> um, so you yeah, so, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no you go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 sir. You I was just going to bring up that I'm, I mean, the obvious that I'm the UNC grad on the rant too, you know. <laughs> no, go ahead, John. You, you, uh, you, you're very, you're a very proud uh, graduate of not only UNC, but uh, you wrote for the Daily Tar Heel too, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. So you want to get into the now? Nah. Yeah, let's um, talk about no. Let's talk about the Daily Tar Heel. Uh, it's a really good reading ground really for good, journalists. So. It is. It is. I, I unlike other college newspapers, uh, the Daily Tar Heel seems like it writes about issues outside of the university. It takes on national issues. It takes on. You know, I don't. Does Chapel Hill have a daily newspaper? Is is the Daily Tar it Hill used to? When yeah. I was there, it was the Chapel Hill Herald and the Chapel. They had two. Because the News and Observer had like a small newspaper in Chapel Hill, and then the Durham Herald Sun had one too. Yeah. And then they kind of combined, and then it just kind of went away, I think, right? There's so no the newspaper now. So the Daily Tar Heels become the, pretty much the daily newspaper of Chapel Hill then, right? Besides the Durham Herald Sun, which is trying to cover Chapel Hill things, it's really just the, the Daily Tar Heel. Yeah. So for you, um, so it sounds like it's, uh, I know it's a very competitive newspaper, like uh, journalism, not every journalism student at UNC gets to write for it, from what I understand. Um, talk about that. Talk about uh, the competitiveness of, of getting to write for the Daily Tar Heel 
and um, how being around other competitive journalists helps you become a better journalist. Yeah, so you can you can kind of start out at the Daily Tar Heel. Um, they'll let pretty much anyone technically on the staff, but it's just getting those real stories and getting to pitch your own stories that gets to the competitive nature of it. So um, I was lucky they let me on my second semester, my freshman year, and you know I was had no writing experience. Obviously in Sanford, there's no like journalism classes in schools. Like all these other people were editor in chief of their school's newspaper. Southernly didn't have a school newspaper. So I was really just a baby in all in all terms. So yeah. um, they let me start out writing a couple of basic stories. Um, and eventually I kind of worked my way up to, you know, stories like I one time had to go review a new veggie burger that a Franklin Street restaurant um, nice. had. <laughs> I'm not a vegetarian, so I yeah. It was just, you know, stories like that. How, uh, how, disgusting. How was the, how was the burger? Uh, it was fine. It weirdly tasted <laughs> like a real burger. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, worked my way up and eventually applied to be a senior writer. So that meant that I was going to get my own beat and to pitch my own stories. Yeah. Um, so I applied for that and thankfully got it. So then I was on the economic development beat. Um, so I got to kind of pitch my own stories, follow a real beat, and I got to do a lot of work around the, just Orange County in general, not just, you know, campus, which is what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it is really competitive in, you know, getting um, editor jobs and that sort of thing. And, you know, yeah. they don't pay anything. So I'm not sure how many people know that, but it, it, it is just you working for hours and hours a week for you know no pay which it, it gives you experience which is you know very valuable but yeah. it ultimately um it was to the point where i would have had to go um, more competitive against all these other great journalists to get an editor position to and editors are paid um or just go to move on to something else that paid me better and you know ultimately <laughs> for my financial situation that's what i had to do so i had to leave um, the Daily Tar Heel behind, but I think it definitely gave me all the experience that I needed. It definitely is a good networking tool. So anytime I go to, you know, apply for a job or something, it definitely got me in the door at the News and Observer the next summer. So um, yeah, yeah. So being around other competitive journalists just makes me so much more competitive myself. Um, it makes me work harder. I see all the internships they're getting. I still follow all the all of them on Twitter. You know, Twitter is like the journalist haven. Right. Um, you see all the all the cool things that they're doing, and I'm like, I could do those too. You know. That's kind of how we were at the Sanford Herald. We were just so competitive with each other. That we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do have well, a question, I guess, about um, you know, going back to school with the the COVID crisis. Uh, how do you feel about that? How do you? Yeah, mostly just sad, I guess. Um, so it's my senior year and I already know that all of my classes in the fall at least are online. So mm. obviously, you know, it's safer for me, but it's just that kind of thinking. I can't help but think like maybe I, so Carroll Hall is the journalism building. I'm yeah. like, maybe I stepped foot into Carroll Hall for the last time and didn't even know it. Yeah. You know, so it's just, obviously I want to be safe and I probably wouldn't be happy going in person every day but yeah yeah so what uh what is unc's policy then are these 
online classes the professor decisions or is this going to be a campus-wide thing? From what I can tell, it's a good portion of it is the instructor's choice. Um, so it went class by class. Um, you know, I, what, from what I can tell, they haven't officially said, but from what I can tell, it's a lot, the instructor's choice. Yeah. Um, and so they, they have a couple of different classes. They have some hybrid classes, some flex classes, and then just completely remote. Um, I don't know what the rhyme or reason, I can't tell other than it's the instructor's choice on that. Um, but most of my classes now, since I'm a senior, are like high level, you know, 600 level classes. So um, it's easy for them to be remote. So I expect them to all be remote. Um, no lab classes, anything like that. So you're just moving along in your junior year. Um, March comes around and it all happened very suddenly at a lot of these universities. Um, they went from uncertainty to suddenly we're shutting down. You probably thought originally that this would be a two week to four week thing, but Eventually, your, your spring semester ended, and now it's looking like, like you said, your final year at college may or may not happen as far as being on campus. Uh, do you feel a little bit, I mean, you're still going to get your education. Do you feel like, though, you've been robbed a little bit of the experiences that you're supposed to come away from college with? Oh, yeah, of course. And actually, um, just the fall of last year is when I joined the uh, professional business fraternity on campus. And so that's really my like social life haven, like my community on campus. And so I only got to do that for this short time. So I was already going to have, you know, only two years with my group of friends, these people and like all these cool things we were going to do. And now it's been cut even shorter. So I definitely feel it's, it's basically just disheartening. Yeah. What about uh, career-wise? Um, I imagine in your senior year, this is about the time you start thinking ahead to what am I going to do after school? How has uh, COVID-19 turned all that upside down for you? Yeah, for sure. So like we had already mentioned, I was supposed to be in Nashville at the Nashville Business Journal this summer. And I was really hoping that um, that was going to be my chance to get a um, potential full-time offer when I graduated. So the um, a company called the American City Business Journals owns all the business journals across the country. So even if Nashville specifically didn't have a position for me when I graduated, I was hoping someone across their network um, would see the work that I had done in Nashville and hire me full-time. So I really, you know, was relying on that to be my full-time job. So we'll see. Um, just, it was just really disappointing that I didn't get the chance to kind of show um, the work that I could do um, at that business journal. So I definitely am at a better spot than um, some of my peers because I did start so early. I started my first internship the summer after my freshman year. So I've luckily gotten to do um, several different things. I worked at the News and Observer last summer, and then this during the school year, I've actually had an internship working at a company called Gretbeat, writing about tech news. Um, so I have a lot of experience behind me, so I'm not, you know, ultimately it's not the end of the world, but um, it's just kind of frustrating because I did hustle so hard to get myself to that point, and then it was just kind of, you know, taken from me. Well, look at it this way. You, you did all that hustling, um, Whereas maybe some people your age might have waited and then now they can't, you know, get that experience that you've already gotten. So maybe there's a bright side to it. Gordon, it looked like I interrupted you earlier. Were you going to ask her something? 
Well, yeah, I wanted to go back to when you were talking about first getting hired at the Daily Tar Heel and mentioning that um, you got a you got a beat for the first time. Did you get to choose that beat, the economic beat, or was that given to you? And is that how you developed that interest in that sort of news? No, so I actually chose it. So I knew at that time that I that was my sophomore my sophomore year. I knew at that time I wanted to do business journalism. Um, so it actually stemmed from my very first class, my very first semester, first ever journalism class. The professor um, was himself a business journalist and had been the editor of the Triad Business Journal. Um, so we ha- he told the class about how we have this small program at UNC called the Business Journalism Major. Um, so he told us about that. And I had had a background in high school of doing DECA and like business type projects and clubs and stuff and it always interested me so I talked to him that professor more about it and um, ultimately applied for the program so I knew at the time that I wanted to write about business related things so I chose economic development okay obviously you're you're going to uh, come away with a with a degree and uh, the world will be you know your oyster and you can go wherever you want Uh, are you looking at newspapers or is that an industry that just doesn't appeal to people your age? Are you looking to do more web writing, web journalism? Uh, what, what is your hope? Um, so originally the hope was like a, a business journal, like I said, but I would not be opposed to a newspaper. I absolutely loved my time at the News and Observer, um, and I would not be opposed to going back to somewhere like that. I thought... Um, Getting to do a mix of writing was really cool. Um, Covering local things, I think, is so, so important now. Um, And then, of course, bigger newspapers like the Wall Street Journal even um, are, you know, dreams of mine. So I definitely, um, now with the grep beat that I, the grep beat work that I did over the school year was all online. So I have you know, that kind of experience of that as well. But there's really no feeling like getting to see your words in print. I just love that, you know, getting to look at the words you wrote, your byline, everything in print is just so much more permanent to me. So do you feel like your generation will have a different view of journalism? Because when Gordon, Jonathan and I were um, your age and getting into the industry, um, there was no such thing as quote unquote fake news. There was no there, there was very little actual visual partisanship in journalism. Uh, it was there, but it wasn't, you know, so out there in your face. And you're, you're entering uh, your career where, you know, um, very uh, many, many people don't trust a journalist. And that's unfair, I think, to journalists. But uh, um, how, do you, how do you feel about that? How do you combat that? How do you get yeah. people to, to, to change their minds about that? It's so frustrating, first of all, you know, because I know I have to think about it. I have to remember that I know how newsrooms work. I've worked in a professional newsroom. I know how things are fact checked, how things, how stories are chosen, all the whole process of it. And I have to remember that people who don't work in newsrooms don't know that. So it's easy for them to think that, oh, maybe a writer did pick this because this story because they have a bias, things like that. So I, I have to try and remember to explain the process of it really and say, no, this is not how how, how journalism works. But um, you did but you did all that research, but yet the meme says that you're you, <laughs> that that it's that wrong. It <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
we get our we get our marching orders every day from from George Soros and yeah <laughs> how it goes yeah Bill Gates Bill Gates pays us each a secret salary to uh, to keep the virus going in the in the media so he can come out with the uh, yeah yeah matter of fact, I probably shouldn't actually say that because then someone will hear yeah. just that oh don't let the secret <laughs> out yeah scandal Liggett admits to Soros conspiracy yeah so, but. Even even my generation of like um, you know college educated students at liberal arts universities, even which is what a lot of my Twitter feed is, just incidentally. But um, even with the Black Lives Matter movement that's going on, there's been those people also posting things like, "Why isn't the media covering this? Why hasn't this? Um, why isn't the media paying attention to this? The media is doing this wrong. Well, I mean, so it's coming from all sides. It's yeah. not even just those, the people who believe like the George Soros stuff. It's really yeah. coming from all places. And it was just really frustrating to see because with just one quick Google search, if somebody posted like uh, a video of something happening in a city um, and just one quick Google search, I could find like three no local papers that were covering exactly what they said no one was covering. And it, a lot of times even it would be the video was pulled from a local news site, you know? Yeah. The, so it's just it's just frustrating to see. I think it really boils down to the lack of news literacy um, in, in the country, um, especially with people my age, like coming up out of high school and stuff. There's no class that, you know, is being taught about, Here's how to find reliable sources. Here's who you can trust, who here's who you shouldn't trust. There's, you know, nothing like that. And so people, I don't know if it's, they just don't realize that local news sources are um, reporting on important things in their community. If they're only looking to um, television news, which I try to tell people too, there's really a vast difference in a lot of what you see on um, like CNN and Fox and what, that like the news and observer are writing about. You really have to separate those. You can't encompass everything under the term the media yeah. and blame absolutely every outlet for something Fox News put on their Fox and Friends show, which is not even news, you know? Right. So. Hey, my my father-in-law will disagree with you there, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so Laura, we're, we're out of time. I want to, I want to, uh, First off, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to do this today. Um, and uh, I want to also thank you for the work that you've done for us. Uh, I know you still have a little bit of time before you head back to school. Um, if even during this time you want to keep writing for us, uh, I probably should say this off mic, but you know we'd love to have you. And, uh, and what we want to help you do is continue to sharpen your skills. And if you want to take on um, assignments that are you might think are challenging, then uh, yeah, go for it. You can you can do all that for us, and uh, and we'll help you the best way we can. Uh, I, I I love to see that there are still people who are passionate about this industry that that want to go in and make a difference. So we really appreciate that. I do want to end by saying um, I'm not going to guess your age, but I want to say you were probably 12, 13, 14 when the three of us were still writing for the Sanford Herald. So if I may, I would like to take credit for you maybe picking up a paper one day when you were 12, seeing really good journalism and thinking, this is really what I want to do. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. or, she may have, or she may have been like, oh, I can do this so much better. Yeah, this is everything that's wrong with newspapering, and I can dedicate my life to changing it. Look at this terrible yeah. paper. 
Well, we hope we, we wish you the very best and uh, um, good luck in this career. And uh, like I said, uh, um, you know, we hope you uh, decide to keep writing for us. Uh, everybody, this is uh, Laura Brummett. She is heading into her senior year at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, she's going to be a hell of a journalist one day. So uh, everybody take note. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, guys. Thanks Thank for you. having Yeah, take care, Laura. Thanks. So we had some uh, some pretty big stories unfold over the last week online. Um, one was this, uh, I think there's some kind of Antifa group out of California, maybe, who tweeted about this uh, Sanford police officer's involvement in what they called a super secret racist Facebook group. It was, a, it was called Confederate Resistance. And... Uh, he was I mean, that's not very secret. Come on. Like, yeah, that's well, the name of they it. called it super secret. I mean, it was a closed group. So, you know, and I guess what they do is they have people in these groups and they're looking for law enforcement who are in those groups and then they're they're outing them. This guy was uh, he he's no longer employed with the Sanford Police Department subsequent to the revelation of his involvement in the group. But so the question was on Facebook, um, did he actually say bad things or was he fired solely because of his association? Well, we uh, can't even say for certain that he was fired because personnel laws prevent that. He just no longer works there. But right. what the what they showed was a screenshot of his, a post of his saying something to the effect of, I've had to delete a lot of my, my Southern brothers and sisters who I've never met in person because... I'm in law enforcement and I got to protect my job. And then he said something to the effect of, uh, I may come back under a fake name so I can be my true self. And well, you know, I mean, you, well, there, there's you your, to, there's your red flag right there. You have know? to look at it this way. If he is, this guy was a detective and if he was, um, testifying in court and I'm the defense attorney who's cross-examining him I might start to ask questions about his involvement in a super secret Facebook group and the things he said there about I may come back under a different name and reveal my true self that's um that's problematic for those cases and I haven't been able to follow up on that yet but that is something that I'm going to look into what happens to this guy's cases now that he's no longer with the Sanford Police Department um, and I know it's a personnel issue, so the police department has been, you know, mum on everything, but you have to believe that the police department knows something maybe that the general public doesn't know or has seen posts that possibly not everybody has seen. I, I don't know whether he was fired, whether it was a mutual letting go or whether it was something else. I'm sure there is a good reason or else you would hear about a lawsuit. You would hear, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. that's, I, I think that there, whether we know all the details or not, I think there is a reason that this guy is no longer employed with Sanford PD. Um, also speaking of Sanford PD, we found out this week that Haven and Lee County, the, um, the, the shelter for, 
domestic violence and sexual assault victims reported an almost $11,000 embezzlement, which that, that was reported to Sanford PD. And what, what kind of scum takes from an organization like that? Well, this was never answered, but did Haven not experience something similar to this in the last 10 years? I, I want to say it was like 10 years ago or maybe a little less because full disclosure, I worked at Haven for a while. Uh, this is right after Billy fired me and damn it. I, <laughs> <laughs> we need uh, like a, you know, when Pee Wee would say the magic words. Yeah. So, yeah. We need some kind of fanfare every time it's brought up. Yeah! <laughs> Good screaming, everybody. Um, but I, I spent some time about a year uh, writing grants for Haven. And there was some kind of financial turmoil that occurred maybe a year or two after I left. And I can't remember if it was embezzlement or something else. And I'm having a hard time finding media accounts about it. But to be fair, I'm sure that it's almost an entirely different board of directors and staff. So my, my question, my question is this. So we've had several of these types of stories in the last few years. We had, uh, was it Grace Christian that had the embezzlement? They reported an embezzlement. Yeah. Um, we've had this. We've had um, the money that was um, from the Wilrick yeah, um, Temple Theater. Temple Theater. Uh, so my question is, how this must be pretty easy to do. I mean, it looks like eventually a lot of people get caught, but how many times do people not get caught? Is is my question, and and just how easy is this to do? And how can you siphon ten thousand dollars from an organization? I know Haven is a nonprofit and has. Um, you know, works with a lot of people and probably deals a lot of money, but they're not a type of an organization that um, could be missing $10,000 without knowing it, you know? So I, I might, I'm just curious how this happens so often. How often well, does, it, does it go I, unchecked? And I want to give these organizations the benefit of the doubt because, you know, I think that these people do these things in ways that so, they know how to cover their tracks and you know it's it's not just as simple as not noticing that you don't have your ten thousand dollars um so if a 200 if a two thousand dollar donation comes in maybe they deposit 1800 of it so a lot of the times uh, I, I have really a know. little bit of oh, go ahead oh a lot of the time i have a little bit of experience in this and a lot of the time um the it's you it's done by credit cards credit cards are kind of the biggest problem so kind are of they like you just spent you're just spent you have a, a credit card and you're just there's not very good um you know measures to verify what you're spending on and things and so people just do you know fraudulent fraudulently use their credit cards like maybe you 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 use your position to secure a line of credit for an organization and then spend the, that without the its knowledge. Yeah, well, you know, like an organization gives you a credit card. Yeah. Right. You'll, you'll have to have a credit card usually to conduct business if you're an executive. Um, and you just, you know, shouldn't be trusted with that credit card. Um, yeah. 
sometimes that that limit can be pretty high too because you have to do you know ordering for things and and just big purchases sometimes right yeah and i have a i have a credit card where i work but man they are every month they are on you for your receipts for your everything i um so yeah it it could be a top level oversight but um it just seems to happen a lot and i can understand people when you you end up embezzling ten thousand dollars, I I can understand how that would start. Like maybe it starts with a hundred here, and they're like, "Wow, I didn't get caught." So maybe here, you know, I'll I'll scrape off a little bit more from this donation or something like that, and and then it gets out of hand for a lot of these people. Yeah, know? I'm sure it's a snowball. You know, like you do it once, oh, I didn't get caught, and then finally. Well, you know. I mean, and. There have been there were arrests made in all of the other cases we mentioned, so I don't have any reason to believe that there won't be an arrest made in this in this one. It'll be. Yeah, you usually get caught. Like, don't do it if you're thinking of doing it. Don't do yeah. it. They, they, yeah, usually when they announce that it happened, they have suspects in mind. And yeah, yeah. I mean, they they obviously know who took the money, right? Well, Haven came out, and I mean, they made a statement saying that they believe the money was taken by a former staff member. And of course that has to be the case. Otherwise it's not embezzling. It's just theft. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that they, that they went so far as to say that tells me that they have a pretty good idea who they think it was. So uh, it's more common than you think, like, especially with, um, you know, not everyone is into the, these things for the right reasons well and i have a hard time believing that most of these cases start out with somebody going you know what i'm going to take some money no no (laughs) they get jammed up and and you know think oh well i plan to repay it and like you said it kind of snowballs and yeah yeah I, i worked at a gas station with a guy once who he would get in it was in college and he would he would take the scratch offs and he would start and like he'd get like twenty dollars up and so he'd pull off twenty more. He'd use that card and he'd he'd uh, he'd he'd buy twenty more with a card and like at some point in the day he'd be like fifty dollars in the hole and then he'd just keep scratching and then he'd get up to like maybe ten dollars in the hole and wherever he was at the end of the day, he would put that money back into the till of uh it, I don't know. Some days though he would leave with like three hundred dollars. And uh, I was just, I was scared to death to do that. I knew just one day, because we, at the beginning of the day, we had to mark every lottery ticket. We had to mark what number it started and what number it ended on. So if someone came in and actually paid attention, they say, well, wow, this guy sold 400 scratch-offs today. To himself. (laughs) To himself, yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe that has nothing to do with embezzling. I think that goes on a lot more than... He did seem to... To, if he was down, he would even out at the end of the day. It was more of a, a thrill-seeking thing for him than it was a actual, you know, him trying to steal from the company. But I think so. I think that uh, lottery or uh, people who work at gas stations are prohibited from buying lottery tickets now. Oh, well, there's the reason. Like, yeah. <laughs> like completely, or just while they're on shift? I'm not sure, but. I think there is because I heard the girl talking one time when I was there and she was saying she couldn't buy them. So 
Well, so guys, uh, um, first off, we're down to five minutes on this one. So if you guys want to wrap it up, um, uh, I can start wrapping it up now. So I got nothing more to say to you. I got nothing more to say either. Uh, I want to thank Laura Brummett again. Um, She, uh, she's, seems like she's really in it for all the right reasons, journalism that is. And um, yeah. And she does, does a good job with us. So Yeah. I, if I went back and looked at my bylines from when I was 21, 22 years old, I'd probably be embarrassed. So she's doing, <laughs> she's doing much better work at that age right now than, than I ever did. Um, so yeah, I want to thank her and I'm excited about next week. I'm excited. We get to talk to Scott Mason and hopefully by next week we will have a, uh, we'll have a Tar Heel traveler segment to talk about. We will. He, he has confirmed it as we were recording this episode, 5:55 PM on, Monday, July 27th. Sweet. WRAL. Awesome. All right. Well, you guys. I hope, uh, I hope my hair looks good when we're on TV. I uh, know, man. I'm really nervous. I, I, think, I don't even want to watch it. <laughs> Are you going to do that thing where you just get up and start pacing? <laughs> I do you, do that. You used to do that in the radio when we were in the yeah. radio studio and we were talking about something uncomfortable for uh, you. <laughs> you would just yeah. get up and start walking around. My wife gets on to me all the time for that. I do that. Like, I pace all the time. It's really annoying. All right. Uh, We'll see everybody next week. All right. Bye. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.